0: Merry met, virtual traveller. Hello and welcome to Stories from Law, a monthly podcast that explores folklore and the stories it inspires. My name is Dawn Nelson and I am an author and professional storyteller. For this episode, patrons chose a the theme of a knock at the door and so I will be looking at who might be knocking on your door, some famous door knockers and uh, doors to the next life. As is often the case, there are some dark folkloric characters and subjects explored in this podcast. And so, as always, I would recommend that you should listen through first before listening with younger members of your household. The story from law for this episode is Stingy Jack. In the extended version of the podcast, I will go on to explore the folklore of your threshold in the form of how to protect your own front door, some old Victorian legends and the hidden doors that you might find in our countryside. This extended version is available on Patreon and the second Story from Lore for patrons will be my version of Hilda, Queen of the Elves. This is the last episode in Season 2 of Stories from Lore and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have putting these episodes together. I'll be back in October with Season 3 and over the summer I'll be giving patrons a sneak peek at the themes coming up. The word threshold is used to denote the divide between one place and another perhaps between one world and another or simply between rooms in a house or the outside and the inside of your abode to step across a threshold is to start a new journey or to enter a new space whatever it is that has taken you there there will be rules for you to follow once you are there the first rule though is to knock No one of this earthly world or any other realm is going to appreciate you barging in without knocking or at least some kind of ritual to announce your entry into the space. So, what is the significance of that knock? Sometimes there's a particular way you need to knock, a secret code or password if you like, that allows you to enter into a place. On other occasions, it might just be that, the occasion. And there are several different characters which may knock on your door for these occasions. In the new year, you may find the Mary Leward on your doorstep, a hobby horse made from a broom handle, a sheet and a horse's skull. This magnificent beast comes from Wales and is associated with wassailing, a blessing of apple trees and orchards, which traditionally occurs on Twelfth Night. So either the 5th to the 6th of January with the Gregorian calendar or the 17th of January as it was up until 1752. On twelfth night, a group of people carrying the Mary Lord will go from door to door asking for food or drink or both. They would do this through poetry and song. And it is the tradition for the occupants of the house that they are knocking on to initially refuse entrance so that a dance of words may occur where the occupant finally relents and allows the Mary Lord to enter. In Norfolk on Valentine's Day, you might awake to find that there is a present on your doorstep. This is not necessarily from anyone you may know, though. In fact, it's most likely to be from Jack Valentine, a folkloric present-giver who stops by houses on Valentine's Day. In the 19th century, children would go from door to door requesting sweets on Valentine's Day and they would chant a little poem as they arrived on your doorstep. Good morrow, Valentine, God bless the baker. You'll be the giver and I'll be the taker. Well, I suppose it was at least honest. You can find lots more on Jack Valentine and his sinister counterparts in Shucksine, produced by Matt Willis, and I highly recommend it. I've put the link to the Valentine edition in the show notes for those who are interested. Of course, it's not just on Valentine's Day that you get small children knocking on your door requesting sweets. Hallow's Eve is the most famous evening for this occurring, and it is still practised today. But where did this tradition come from? Samhain, spelt S-A-M-H-A-I-N, is the ancient pagan festival which celebrates our ancestors and those who have passed on. And centuries ago, during this festival, costumes were worn to drive away bad spirits. But food and drink was not yet asked for on the doorstep. That didn't happen until the Middle Ages, when mummers appeared. Mummers are groups of masked actors who perform in exchange for food and drink. They would knock on doors and perform these plays. And later, when Christianity named November the 2nd as All Souls Day again a time for remembering past ancestors, it became tradition for the poor to knock on doors and request soul cakes. Soul cakes are a type of flat-fruited scone. Of course, it's not really a surprise then that these traditions eventually evolved to produce the costumed trick-or-treaters that appear on our doorstep today. But when they get to the doorstep and they step forward to knock on the door with whatever you may have on your front door, a door knocker or a doorbell, if it is a door knocker, what of the significance of that door knocker? As I said most doors today have some form of a knocker or a bell in order to raise the attention of the occupants so that the postman can hand you your parcels and the delivery men can as well and your neighbours can come say hi and you know who's coming in your front door. But door knockers, well they have a bit of a dark past. The Greeks did not appreciate unwanted or unannounced visitors And so the very rich would have a slave to answer the door and announce those visitors. The slave was chained to the front door and the chain was attached to a metal ring. If the slave fell asleep, then the metal ring became a door knocker and was used to wake the slave and gain entrance to the house. So not the nicest use really for an iron ring attached to your front door. Over time, of course, door knockers evolved and and thankfully are no longer accompanied by a slave. The door knocker itself was often iron, known for warding off unwanted visitors of the magical kind, and they were often cast in the form of a grotesque animal-like being in order to frighten away, again, the aforementioned magical spectres. One of the most famous door knockers in the UK is the Sanctuary Knocker of Durham Cathedral. The knocker has been in use since the 11th century and gets its name from the fact that the cathedral, as indeed were and are many places of worship, was also a place of sanctuary. Fugitives, wishing to escape the long arm of the law, would claim this sanctuary by using the lion-faced knocker on the door of the cathedral to raise the attention of the monks within. The fugitive would then be taken into the monastery, where they could claim sanctuary for 37 days. During this time, they had to decide whether to face trial or face exile. If they chose exile, then they were given the cross of St Cuthbert to wear, and then put on the next ship out of port, never to return. And it did not matter where this ship was going, they were going to get on that ship. These criminals had often committed a variety of crimes, from stealing cattle to murder. And I often wonder what stories the walls of the cathedral could tell. I'm sure there are a few. There are many very ornate door knockers across the world, some of them more famous than others, but there are some very common types that hold meaning to many. Like the one on 10 Downing Street, which is where the Prime Minister lives in the UK, the door knocker that is in the shape of the lion's head, they're thought to be a symbol of nobility and bravery. I'll leave that up to you. And the hands that you may find as door knockers on the front of doors, they're associated with the hand of Fatima amulet. This is thought to be a little like the all-seeing eye. So these are thought to protect against evil. Pineapples have also long been a sign that guests are welcome, and you'll often find these on the pillars at the end of long driveways to large houses if you visit a few of those places that are owned by the National Trust, in the UK at least. They also appear as door knockers, though, for the same reason it's a welcoming sign. Gods and goddesses sometimes appear as door knockers, and they obviously hold the symbolism that is associated with that particular deity. And then there are door knockers that denote your profession. The doctor's door knocker was introduced in Georgian England and looks a little like a very ornate cupboard door handle. So this would denote that the doctor was living in that house and make them easy to find. So what you choose to have on your front door can say a lot about you. But these thresholds that I've been talking about are all for the living. So next, I'd like to take a very brief look at the gates to the afterlife. It could be argued perhaps some of the most important gates and doors that you will ever knock on. After all, according to myth and legend, this is where you will spend the remainder of your days. In the Christian religion in particular, there are generally gates which act as thresholds to both heaven and hell. The gates of heaven are frequently referred to as pearly gates, and it is St Peter that stands at the gates to allow or deny entrance to the realm. Its opposite, of course, is hell and is often described as having gates. The gates of hell is a fairly regular phrase that's used. It actually appears in the Bible, but there is some discussion as to whether that the phrase refers to literal gates or simply something that's used to denote the dividing line between paradise and hell. In the late 19th century, Rodin was commissioned to create a sculpture of the gates of hell. The pair of bronze doors, which stands six metres high and four metres wide, were inspired by Dante's Inferno and Ghiberti's Gates of Paradise. The original casting can be found in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. But there are several other casts of this work around the world. And with a quick search of the internet, you'll be able to find this. In other religions and pantheons and belief systems, these gates just are a general uh, portal to the underworld, which separates the living from places which can be good or bad, depending on how they are perceived. And sometimes uh, these places are a little less well defined. They often have guards, though. And in the Greek myths, the many headed dog Cerberus guards the gates to Hades' domain, the underworld. In the Egyptian mythology, it is Anubis, the dog headed god of the dead, who escorts souls to the underworld. And in the Norse myths, slightly differently. It's Heimdall, the all-seer, who guards the Bifrost, which is the entrance to Asgard, the place of the gods. Religion, faith, myth and the doors to the afterlife are a vast subject. And so for now, I'm going to stick with the concept of heaven and hell in order to tell you the next story. This story is an old Irish folktale called Stingy Jack which you may have heard me tell before and explains the origins of jack-o'-lanterns but it also warns against the perils of upsetting the deities and the guardians that preside over these realms and the doorways to them. This is my version of the folktale and it is a recording of me telling this live for one of my online shows which was a Salwain special last October. Jack was a reprehensible fellow. He was called Stingy Jack. And well, the dregs in the bottom of your beer were more palatable than Jack. He lied and cheated. He conned his way out of every situation he could find. He had few friends who he hadn't double-crossed in some way. And when news of his business got to the devil, the devil thought, well, he sounds like he could give me a run for my money and he should definitely be with me in hell. And so he came down to earth to take Stingy Jack. Stinty Jack was walking along the path on the way home. It was a dark night. He was swaying a little. He'd had a couple of pints in the pub from the bit of money that he'd won cheating at cards. And when he saw this dark fellow stood in front of him who looked half human, but the bottom half was not. And the cloven hooves definitely suggested that this was Nick. He looked up and he said, good evening. The devil replied, stingy Jack, he said, I hear that your ways are not good. You lie, you cheat, you con. And so it is that it is your time to come to hell with me. And this evening, that's it. You're done. No longer will you be on earth. Hold on a minute says jack I, I don't really think i'm ready to go yet he said look i've got a lot of life left in me i've got a lot of cons to uh, to carry out and well no I, I don't think i'm ready actually thanks well you don't have a choice said the devil well all right said jack if i don't have a choice if you're telling me that this is it then can we just go back to the pub and just have one last pint Well, the devil did not seem to think there's much of a problem with that and thinks, well, okay. And so they walk back along the path towards the pub. As they enter, everybody turns to look at Stingy Jack and the man he is with. And they all see that this is half man and half goat. And they see the arrowed tail of the devil, and they know exactly who Jack's drinking partner is. They're not surprised to see Jack with the devil, but they are surprised to see them in their pub. Everybody is silent as Jack and the devil pull up a stool. They order a pint from the barkeep who does not refuse. What would you? And they hand them over. One by one, the people start to leave the pub because you really wouldn't want to stay, would you? Who knows what's going to happen? Eventually, Jack gets to the bottom of his beer and he takes the last sip and the devil goes, right, that's it. We best be getting on, haven't we? The barkeep is stood looking at the two of them. He's completely white in the face. And Jack goes, well, as you're taking me away to hell, how about you pay for this pint? <laughs> what are you talking about, says the devil? I'm the devil, I don't pay for anything, he said. I don't even carry money. Yes, but this barkeep, is a good, honest fellow. You should pay him. Why don't you turn yourself into a little silver coin and then you can pay him? Well, the devil seems to think this seems reasonable. After all, the barkeep hasn't actually done anything. And so he does. But the barkeep is not willing to touch that coin. And Jack is. He picks it up quickly and he puts it in his pocket right next to a cross that used to be his mother's. And now the devil is trapped in Jack's pocket, the silver coin right next to the cross, burning the devil. He's howling in Jack's pocket. Jack walks all the way home before he decides to take the coin out and strike a deal with the devil. He says, I will only let you go if you give me another year on Earth. All right, anything, just let me out of your pocket, says the devil. he does he places the coin on the table the devil turns himself back into the devil and returns to hell a whole year passes and jack causes more trouble for the villagers and steals more money cheats at more games of cards Mm. it's not a not a good year for anybody and at the end of the year well of course the devil returns and he waits for Jack on the same path right that's it the deal's done you're coming with me now says the devil oh, i don't know says jack we could go for another pint that's not happening again says the devil come on we're going oh but look up in that tree he says look at the apples up there <gasps> they look amazing if i could just have one of those apples okay you can have an apple but i can't reach them could could you just go and get one well clearly the devil hasn't learned from the first time because the devil's quite happy to climb the tree to get the apple and as he's climbing the tree jack carves in to the tree bark lots of crosses all the way around it so the devil cannot come down out of the tree and the devil is once again stuck i got you again, says Jack, most pleased with his efforts. What do you want, Jack? What's it going to be to let me down, says the devil. Ten more years, I reckon, should be all right. Ten more years and, and then I'll come with you, I promise. Okay, says the devil, who knows how this goes by now and, uh, well, Scratches out the crosses, the devil comes down, the devil goes back to hell and time moves on. Jack carries on, drinking his way through the days and gambling his way through the nights. And soon, well, Jack doesn't really last 10 years. Soon the excesses of his lifestyle catch up with him and, well, one of those nights on the way back along the path, Jack wobbles too far one way and into the river. Jack is dead. And when he appears on the other side, in that space, some people call it purgatory or the liminal space. He sees the pearly gates in front of him and he walks towards them. He thinks, they'll let him in. They forgive people, don't they? So he walks up to the pearly gates and he sees Peter there and he says, can you let me in? Oh, no, says Peter, I've heard of you. You're stingy, Jack, and there's no way you are getting into heaven. Of all the people on the earth, you deserve it the least. Your way is that way. And he points towards the fiery burning pits of hell. So Stingy Jack does. Off he goes on his way towards hell. And he knocks on the door there and the devil, he sees him. He goes, hello, Jack. Because I'm here. I've come. Look, I'm early even. Now you're not coming in here, says the devil. I have had enough of your ways and there is no way you are coming into hell. It's not happening. You will cause too much trouble. Well, what am I going to do? dark out here here have a coal says the devil and hands him a burning coal which jack somehow manages to hold and so it is that jack cannot get into heaven nor can he get into hell and he is doomed forever to walk in that liminal space between the two holding that hot coal to light his way and so he has become jack Of the lantern. And so next time you put that candle in that pumpkin, that turnip, that sweet, whatever it is that you've put it in, and you light it, spare a thought for those in that liminal space and be grateful that not all of them are allowed out of it. I hope you enjoyed Stingy Jack and this episode's look at the truth behind your front door. I'll be back in October with season three and I'd like to thank my patrons for their support over the last two seasons. Whilst I'm away, you can catch up with extra stories and extended episodes of this podcast via my Patreon. My Patreon is called Rewild Yourself Through Story and is focused on using story to reconnect with the land we live on and the nature within it. You can become a patron to benefit from a range of rewards, digital zines, ways to connect with nature through story, audio stories, extended versions of this podcast and even online workshops. and They are all available as rewards. There are, of course, other ways that you can support the podcast and you can do this by sharing the podcast with your friends, leaving me a review and all these things help these stories to travel to new audiences and find new souls to warm. If you wish to hear more stories woven with folklore and the old ways, you can find me on Instagram as dd_storyteller underscore storyteller, on Facebook as DDStoryteller and via my Facebook group, Stories From Law. I hope to see you there, as I'd love to tell you another story. Until then, toodle-pip.